Welcome to the Twimmel AI Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Charrington. George, welcome. Great to be here. Thanks for inviting. Absolutely. So you're in the School of Informatics. How did you get involved in, you know, what's the intersection between informatics and, uh, you know, your research? And how did you come to get interested in machine learning? So informatics is quite a general term. Um, in Edinburgh, where I'm doing my PhD, the School of Informatics um, essentially came to be by combining computer science, artificial intelligence, and cognitive science. And an umbrella term for everything that has to do with information, either artificial information or, you know, natural information, um, came to be known as informatics. Um, so my background, though, was in, actually was in electrical engineering. So I did my undergraduate studies in electrical engineering. And then I, after I graduated, I was working as a research assistant doing computer vision. And I was actually working in a project where it was a fun project. We were, we were trying to detect activities and classify activities. So we had mm-hmm. in, in smart homes. So we had, uh, we, we, we put sensors and cameras in, you know, people's flats. And we, we could, you know, take measurements such as temperature and humidity, and we could track the person's location in the flat. And we wanted to infer what they were doing. Um, were they sleeping, watching television, um, doing the dishes, eating, etc. And that was a fun project. But it, it, it became obvious to me that it was very difficult to, you know, to figure out what the person was doing and being certain about it. Right. Uh, because they could be doing anything, right? Right. What, what right. does a right in temperature mean, for instance? Uh, and so that's how I got in, into machine learning and tried to infer information from data in a more principled way mm. um, and trying to quantify the uncertainty over that information, for instance. A person might be doing, you know, might, might be doing the dishes, but are we sure that they're doing the dishes? Or maybe are they uh, cooking? Or maybe or... they're cooking. So right. we have to be, we have to be able to quantify uncertainty. That's how, how I got into machine learning and in particular, uh, yeah. Bayesian inference. And that's what brought me to Edinburgh to, to a PhD. How has that interest kind of flowed into your current line of research? So my, um, so I got, interested in Bayesian inference, which is a, a principled way of, of um, making predictions at the same time quantifying uncertainty. And this has all to do with, you know, probability distributions and probability densities and, you know, a lot of, a lot of probabilistic modeling. And it's difficult to get these probabilities. We have to, how, how, do, we, how do we obtain the probability of, of data in the first place? And that's what brought me into doing research in um, density estimation, which is what my, my research, which is what the, the, the research I am presenting here at NIPS mm. uh, is about. And here we're talking about probability densities as that's opposed correct. to material that's densities. Correct. That's correct. Um, and so uh, the technique you're using to estimate probability densities is mass autoregressive flow. What does that mean? That's correct. So mass autoregressive flow is it's a deep neural network. That, that's what it is. So it's a, it's a deep neural network which takes data points. Could be an image, could be a time series, could be a piece of information, 
and spits out a number. And that number is the probability density associated with this, with this data point. Essentially, it's, it's a score that's, that says how likely is this data point. For instance, if I'm trying to learn a probability density over images, an actual image, like say an image of a person, I would score high so that the network would return a high score. And a, a random image, an image of random noise, would return almost zero score. That tells you how plausible, how likely the, the image is. That, so that's what probability density is. And you can, you can learn, you can train such a network directly on data and get an estimate of um, what their, their probability density should be. And so the probability density that the network is producing is a, um, you know, it's, it's a vector of, uh, what does it look like? I guess when I think of probability densities, I think of them, uh, you know, in terms of, uh, from an analytical sense, like, is it, um, you know, it could be a, a Gaussian with a certain yes. set of parameters or some other kind of um, probability function. Yeah. Is this telling you the um, the distribution as well as its parameters, or is it telling you uh, you know something else? Yeah, there there are many ways you know, to go about um, doing this. So it could be that um, the neural network spits out the parameters of a distribution. For example, if that distribution were a Gaussian, it would spit out the the mean and the variance of that Gaussian, which defines that Gaussian. There are many ways of, of doing this. The, the, the challenge here, um, so if you chose, let's say, a, a particular type of distribution, say a Gaussian, that network would only be able to spit out Gaussians. Right, right. right. So the challenge here is to, to make it more flexible um, because the, the data might follow a different distribution, right? So how can we make it flexible enough so that it can spit out whatever distribution uh, the data happens to follow. And, that, and that's, that's the challenge here. And that's what this uh, paper was about, essentially was proposing a very flexible mechanism, so a, a particular architecture that would spit out parameters that would describe a distribution uh, that was very flexible. Is it picking from some catalog of distributions that it knows about? Or is, a, is there a type of distribution that is you know, essentially, you know, high dimensional, very flexible, lots of parameters that, you know, every other distribution is kind of a, you know, degenerate version of, if, if you will. It's, it's, it's a bit like both. It's more like the second one. So it's, it's, um, it is parametric in that it, it is described by, a, you know, a set of parameters. Um, but these parameters can adapt themselves. In what ways? So they, they can change. So the, so you can imagine they can change in value, or they can change in meaning and implication. Um, in value, so you can okay. you can imagine a distribution being sort of like a rubber sheet that you put over data, and you can stretch that and and you know squash it in many ways, and that's what the parameters describe the the stretching and the squashing of, of this flexible object. And by transforming this object, you can form it into a distribution that fits the data well. So that's the idea. These parameters describe how I would need to stretch and bend a simple distribution like a Gaussian in order to get a complicated distribution. That's essentially the idea. What's this distribution called? 
Um, this distribution is the is, is the model is masked or regressive flow. Ah, okay. So, so masked or regressive. So yeah. you, as part of this research, you identified or created this distribution, but also demonstrated yes. how to calculate it from yeah. a data set. So masked or regressive flow is essentially this neural network that squashes and uh, stretches a simple distribution to make to form it into a more complicated distribution it's it's free to learn what transformation to do so you don't know what the end distribution is going to look like but you know so by the, definition the, the, the the more simple distribution the starting yes, distribution yes, yes. Okay. you know that just so I'm clear on this is mask masked autoregressive flow your creation or is that was that an existing thing that you then applied to density estimation this is my creation which was um, inspired by very similar models in the literature uh, so there was a model before that which was very similar which is called uh, inverse autoregressive flow another model which is called real nvp and another model which is called masked autoencoder for distribution estimation so all these are you know in the same family of um, of models and this one is essentially a continuation of the same idea and an application of, of previous ideas in the problem of density estimation in the paper did you did you base your results on a particular input distribution such as a gaussian or did you so, use something else um, in the paper we did use gaussians as you know as base distribution but that's fine because the the idea of these models is that they're not limited by what a distribution you start with right, right because if you you know form it if you transform it in many ways you can in the end get almost any distribution you like so in the paper what uh, what we did is we took various data sets some of which were images like MNIST or CIFAR. Others were time series, and other, there were two more data sets that described uh, uh, collisions in particle physics. So these data sets are all um, publicly available. And we trained the same model, so same, uh, same neural networks, same deep model, to each one of them, and saw that it works well ac across a range of, of domains. So it's not particularly uh, engineered to work well, well with images or right, something else. Right. So one one of the motivations in the paper was to demonstrate generality as well. And what was your metric of working well? Um, test log likelihood. So having trained this deep neural network on training data and having you know tried to estimate the probability density uh, in training data, does that probability density assign high scores to held out data so this is this is the um, the metric so if we let's say have a data set of images and we know they should all have high scores because they're all plausible images and I I don't use a, like 10% of them for training then the model I learn should assign high scores to these uh, images that I held out as well. Mm -hmm. And let me take a step back. Yeah. In this case, the what does it mean to have a score for a given image? It's the, the the score is the the value of the probability density. The value of the probability the value of the probability density where um, or for what at the for for that particular data point. So, so the probability density assigns a value to each data point, and this value should be high for 
for for, for data points that are that are typical, natural looking. If if we're talking about images, and very small for unlikely objects. So in the case of your test data, you've got an image, a, a complete image, and when you talk about the score, are we looking at like an arbitrary pixel and the the probability value for... We're looking at the whole image. The whole image. The whole and image. so kind of an, an average score across all of the pixels or... Kind of, yeah. Kind of. Kind so of. Each pixel would get an individual score and the, the, the product of the scores would be the score of an image. Um, and so how is this, how would, do you envision this being applied? Um, that's a very good question. So, so w w what, I, what I described is one way to do unsupervised learning, right? So in unsupervised learning, what you have is, well, you have data, like unlabeled data, like a bunch of images that you downloaded from, from the web. Yeah. And you want to know something about the data. You don't have a specific, you know, goal in mind. You, you want to um, learn something about the structure of the data. So one way of doing this is by density estimation, because the density, which is the probability density that describes the data probabilistically, tells you that structure. So it's one way of doing generative modeling and unsupervised learning. Uh, for example, GANs and VAEs would be um, similar ways, but uh, slightly different approaches. Uh, but what I'm particularly interested in, and the reason I got involved with density estimation to begin with, uh, is for doing inference. As I, as I said at the beginning, the probabilistic way of doing inference is, you know, recovering distributions over unknown information. So if we want to, for example, in the, in the example I was, I was, I was talking about in the beginning, um, where you want to infer what activity a person is doing, Mathematically, what you want to recover is a distribution over possible activities. And you could use these type of models, so these density estimators, uh, these neural networks that learn densities in order to learn uh, densities over th things that you, that you don't know and you want to recover. So this is, this is my motivation of using neural density estimation to do um, probabilistic inference. So I'm thinking of uh, applications that, um, you know, we, we see a lot of, uh, for example, GANs apply to, mm -hmm. you've got incomplete images and you're trying to reconstruct those images in some kind of way and you want to infer some of the missing data. Mm -hmm. That's an example of how you might apply this. That would exactly be, yeah. So, for example, you've, you've seen half of the image and you want to know, you want to infer what the other half would be. So... What you want is a distribution or a density right. over the pixels that you haven't seen, for instance. And that could be done, potentially, uh, with, kind of, with this kind of models. Uh, so the, the density that you, this, the mass autoregressive flow distribution, how many, does that have a fixed number of parameters or a variable number it of parameters? It has a fixed number of parameters. This is a design choice. So it's, it's, it's a neural network. It's a deep neural network, which um, essentially implements this transformation of the base density. And the parameters of that neural network is the parameters uh, of so the So then maybe not parameters in the way we're used to thinking about them for probability densities, but you know, they are hyperparameters for a neural network. They're, um, 
the, they are the, the, the weights and the biases of that neural network. It's, it's difficult to, to interpret them. Yeah, that was um, my question. Yeah. Like, is there like an intuitive, you know, transformation between those and what we might think of as the, you know, the parameters of a probability distribution? Yeah, exactly. It sounds like no, not really. It's, yeah, yeah. So if we, let's say if the probability distribution is a Gaussian, then we can interpret the parameters. So the right. mean is, you know, the, the central mean is location. Standard deviation. Right, right. Yeah, standard deviation is the width. Right. Um, but now it's difficult to interpret what 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 do the parameters of the neural network that you know describes this density uh, do? Uh, yeah, you're right. And so, it's, is it even correct to think of this these parameters as describing a density as opposed to describing a machine that spits out densities? It's 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 how, it's how you think. It's is it semantics? It. It's 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 mostly semantics. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you can think of, of them either way. Okay. I think. Um, and so what's the dimensionality of this parameter space? Uh, it's, it's huge. It's, uh, it's however big you design your neural network to be. So it's, f- think of it as it's, it's, it's a modification over a standard feedforward neural network. And the parameters are the weights and the biases of this neural network. So you could have potentially thousands or millions of parameters. And so what, what characterizes the architecture of this network relative to others? Mm-hmm. So um, if I, let's say I take um, an arbitrary feedforward neural network, right? standard, you know, st- standard stuff that, um, that we use, uh, for example, for regression. And what we want if if we want this network to represent, if we want the output of this network to represent a probability density, then it has to have some properties. The first property is that it has to be non-negative. And the second property, which is, which is a difficult one, is that it, ha- it has to... The, the set of all outputs, the set of all possible uh, probabilities have to sum to one. And this, these two properties are not, are not, not trivial... Mm. Um, to ensure, and that's exactly what the research is about. How how can we design the architecture of this neural okay. network? So that's kind that. of your starting point, yes. and you design from there. Yeah. Are there other requirements like uh, that? The outputs have to be continuous. Like, is that of interest, um, or is that trivial? Or? They will be continuous, and they will be differentiable because otherwise we wouldn't be able to learn the neural network. So, right, right. given that the the, f- the functions represented by neural networks are differentiable, yeah. Yeah. then, yeah, this is a requirement for being able to learn it. Right. Well, by learning, I mean, you know, back Training. Back yeah, derivatives. Back yeah. yeah. So, like, what was, your, what was your process in then architecting a network to meet these so we, criteria? There is, a, uh, there is a line of research. Um, for instance, the, uh, uh, the methods I, I mentioned before. So, essentially, we, we continued from, you know, rely on the shoulders of giants. <laughs> sure. People have they've, they've, they've been there before you. Um, so there were, in the literature, there were two types um, of models. The first one is called autoregressive model. And the second one, second one is called a normalizing flow. Um, and these were, th- th- these are ideas of how to design the neural networks to satisfy these requirements. Um, so what do these 
individual ideas mean so, or represent? Yeah, so the, the autoregressive uh, model is essentially a, it's a neural net that has as many outputs as inputs. And each output is uh, the parameters of a simple density of the corresponding input. So for instance, the, the first input would be a mean and a variance of a Gaussian. For the, uh, so the first output would be a mean and a variance of a Gaussian for the first input. And the second output would be a mean and a variance of a Gaussian for the second input. So they essentially break down the problem in estimating sim simple densities for each variable, for, for each input. If, they, if the input were an image, then that would be individual densities over each pixel. So they break down the problem, uh, uh, the problem of estimating a joint density of all inputs into the simpler problem of estimating a density of, one, of only one input at a time. So that's, that's the idea. Do you keep the parameters at each level or are you only keeping the ones at the end? Oh, you keep, uh, keep all of them, right? Yes, yeah, that's, your, yes. that's where your information comes exactly. from. Okay, got it. Um, yeah, so the collection of all of them right. describes your, your density. Okay. So that's autoregressive models. And, and uh, there, there are many examples. So WaveNet is, is a model like this. Okay. Pixel RNN is a model like this, Pixel okay. CNN. So th these, these, these models are great at learning complex distributions over images or sound or uh, other types of data as well. Um, so that's one, one approach. The other approach is the normalizing flow approach. This is essentially what I was describing before. They, these, these, take, these, these neural networks take a, a random input coming from a simple distribution like a Gaussian, and they transform it and produce a data point. So essentially, they implement what I was describing before. They take a simple density, for instance, a Gaussian, and transforming it, stretching it uh, like a rubber band in, in order to form a different uh, density. Um, so real NVP was this type of model. So our work is, was based on the idea that we can actually... So before, you, yeah. before you go to your, the, this latter model, normalizing flow, is that... Normalizing flow. Normalizing flow. Are you... Is your, your input data just sampling from an input distribution, or is yes. there some kind of training data set or it's something the like that? random noise from an input distribution. It's like the generator of a GAN. So it's just random noise. Um, and the output is data. Okay. Um, and so in our work, what, what we, the idea um, that we used is that you can actually, it turns out that some autoregressive models are actually normalizing flows. So there's a deep connection between these two types of model, which was really cool. And that gave us an, an idea of how to make normalizing flows better. And the idea was to use autoregressive models as normalizing flows. So that was, and that, that's exactly what we called this thing, an autoregressive flow. And so when you, you started with this idea of making them better, what, was, what were the particular things that you wanted to improve on? So um, the, the challenge with designing uh, neural density estimators, neural networks that estimate densities, 
is exactly that it's difficult to ensure that the outputs are actual densities, that they satisfy these this, this properties of summing to one and being non-negative. Um, and if you try to impose restrictions on the architecture in order to achieve that, you end up hurting expressivity. So you, you end up making the, the networks very rigid, um, very difficult to express complicated distributions. That's why we were trying to improve. We were trying to improve uh, the expressivity of these type of models without hurting, um, uh, w without um, violating your violating, fundamental. Exactly, without violating the requirements. And when you hurt expressivity, um, does that lead to a model that tends to underfit, a model that doesn't generalize? Exactly. What, what are exactly. all of the above? Yeah. Uh, uh, underfitting could happen because the model is not expressive enough right. to represent a complicated density. So, for instance, a complicated density can have a, you know, a, a very strange shape in space, right? If if the if the model can only represent Gaussians, then it will underfit. It will, right? You know, uh, uh, force fit everything into exactly. that shape. Yeah. Exactly. So you will try to sort of cover every everything in the space. And it will end up um, assigning lots of probability to unlikely uh, objects, like unlikely images, for instance. Yeah, that's what underfitting means in this in this uh, context. Are there other areas of your paper or presentation that we haven't covered thus far? That's well, that was pretty much uh, everything. And so this work is uh, kind of a stepping stone in a sequence of stepping stones. Yes. You know, where do you see it going? Um, I'm hoping that it will be, it will prove useful in uh, doing inference, uh, and there there are many ways you can use it for doing inference. So last year we so in last year NIPS we had another paper where we used a neural density estimator to learn uh, posterior distributions. So that would be one way we can use it to to do inference. And what's the difference between learning a density estimator and learning of the posterior? The posterior is a density. Uh, it's a particular a particular density that describes your beliefs about something you haven't seen. For instance, if you have an image and you've observed, you, you, you have half of it and the, the other half is corrupted, then the density of the corrupted bit of the image would be the posterior of that uh, part of the image, given the, the, the part you've seen. Uh, so that, that would be a posterior. Um, but we use that same example to describe or to illustrate the work that you've done. Mm -hmm. uh, so, but it sounded like you were drawing a distinction between the work that you've done and the work that you did uh, with this paper and the previous one that was focused on mm -hmm. uh, post posteriors. What's the distinction between the two? So the distinction is that the previous paper was was mainly on how to train it for inference, how to train. So given a neural density estimator, how can you train it uh, to learn posterior? Ah, got it. And this one was how can we, how design, we design a the good density, density estimator? estimator? Got it. Exactly. Got it. Got it. Got it. So if we have a good one, <laughs> if we have a good density estimator, and we also have a good way of training training it to learn posteriors, right? Maybe we can. Then we can actually we use can it actually, for inference. Yeah, we can use it for inference. Okay. Exactly. 
So that's the idea. Okay. Um, how did you benchmark the performance of the the uh, the masked autoregressive flow model? Uh, the the benchmarking was was done on general purpose density estimation tasks. So it was okay. what I was describing before. We took with these three different tasks. Yeah, we, we took a number of data sets and saw how well how well masked autoregressive flow can fit the density of of the data set. The density of of data is something we don't know, right? It's we know that you know we we stipulate that. Uh, that data comes from a, from a density, um, but we don't know which uh, what, what what it is, and we try to learn it by by these type of models by mask autoregressive flow, and if it has done a good job at learning the underlying density of the data, then it should assign high density to unseen data, and that's that's the that's that's a uh, benchmark uh, we can use to test these models. Uh, and so, presumably, you compare the results you saw with the, the previous yes. generations of yeah, exactly. perform favorably. Yeah, it, it's um, competitive. Okay, it's it's not clear what's the best model for. So, given a data set, right, it's not clear what the best model is because depending on the structure, so, some density models are better at um, estimating cluster structure. Structure, other uh, models are better at estimating manifold structure and some models work better in high dimensions some models work better in low dimensions so it's not easy it's 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 difficult to design a a model that rules them all right that fits everything um so there is there's always um the question what do i use for my data set uh we we saw that mask autoregressive load does well across a range of data sets, but it's not necessarily the best for each particular case. So still, if, if I'm interested in a particular data set, then I, I need to think um, what I should use. If I'm interested in a range of data sets, then something like mask autoregressive flow as a starting point is something I would probably use. And did we explicitly cover what the masked in masked autoregressive flow, yeah, we didn't. Flow, uh, <laughs> where that comes from? Um, so this comes from a previous model that we used ideas from. So that previous model was called uh, masked autoencoder for distribution estimation. So we took the masked bit from that. And so that model was an autoregressive model. So it predicted one density at a time. So one, one density. So it had one output for every input. And that output was a density over the corresponding input. So the, the, the restriction that these models have is that the nth, so the, the fifth output is only allowed to be connected to the first four. It's not allowed to receive um, input from the fifth, the sixth, the seventh uh, input. And the, in in that uh, in that particular paper, they they enforced this restriction by masking out weights connections in the network by removing uh, c connections, and that forces kind of like a summarization at different levels it, it, or it forces, uh, it, it information forces that, concentration um, or something. Uh, it it forces uh, that 
the fifth output doesn't cheat by looking so by by looking at the at the actual value of the fifth input. Um, that, that, that's that's what that's what it does, and it's in in technical terms what it does it it, it decomposes a, a join density into a product of conditionals, mm, okay. and each uh, output density is one of those conditionals, and conditionals are um, conditioned on only previously seen inputs and not on future ones. Um, so masking was the the technique they used for for doing this. And it's, a, it's a very clever idea, and we we took this idea from there. Awesome. Well, George, thanks so much for thanks much. taking some time to, to chat with me about this. I really enjoyed learning about what you're up to. It was a pleasure for for me. Great, thank you. Thanks very much. All right, everyone, that's our show for today. For more information on George or any of the topics covered in this episode, head on over to twimlai.com slash talk slash 145. Also, take a moment to show us some love for the podcast's second anniversary and share how it's been helpful to you over at twimlai.com slash 2AV. And finally, thanks so much for listening and catch you next time.